1: Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code
2: LISTEN.
3: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
2: This
4: is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork screen.
3: And a very
2: good Tuesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. Bernie is sitting in for John Paul, who's on a day off today. So if you want to make contact with the programme, it's Bernie. You'll be talking to it at 0818 103 103. Texts and WhatsApps also available throughout the morning to 086 to 103, 103 And going through the papers uh, this morning, they are still filled with more shocking photos and reports what what was from what was once the sleeper suburb of Bucha Outside of Kiev, and some of the images really hard to uh, watch, even looking on the the television uh, some of the video footages from the TV it was really, really difficult to watch and this you know war has been going on now for over a month, and you sort of switch on the TV and you think, "Oh, can it get any worse than then What unraveled in Bucha? people were just saying, "This is really when is this ever going to end I mean you know there's pictures of uh, victims that were found lying face down on the street hidden under sheets wrapped up in black plastic others were just tossed into mass graves some of the bodies had been burned there had been evidence and signs of torture there was gunshot wounds to the head uh, and particularly that man with his hands bound behind his back and you know obviously your photographs like that you you, you say they're, they're deliberate they're executions there's no other word uh, for it and while the war has raged on the outskirts of Kiev for weeks little has Be been known about what had happened to the civilians who were trapped behind the Russian lines. But of course, it was only when the Russian soldiers swiftly started to abort their attempts to take the capital. It was only then that the Ukrainian army and independent journalists were able to get into Bucha. And then the unimaginable grim pictures of the bloody op- uh, occupation slowly then started to emerge. I mean there's photographs and evidence of bodies piled in cellars, others very hastily ber- buried. I mean the mayor and her husband and her son, I mean the attempt to bury them was just shocking. Um, others were left to fall where, where they fell. Their, their corpses were just left uh, there and it was on, not just on sort of one location, it was in hundreds of numerous locations across this suburb of Kiev the dead of course you could very obviously see from the photographs they were civilians they were wearing civilian clothes many of them had actually had white armbands on to further show look I'm not a soldier I'm, I'm a civilian going about my business trying to live a normal a life as possible and of course included in the The corpses that were found were women and children. And Michael has been on about it saying, Patricia, the horrific stories coming out of Ukraine over the last uh, few days with these horrific shattering pictures uh, reminds me, said Michael, of the early 70s when that brutal Ugandan dictator Idi Amin, and that's a name that we don't, that doesn't get, hasn't been, doesn't get spoken about much, but yes, he was an absolute butcher of a dictator. Michael says he brutally Butchered 300,000 people in Uganda and countless people were brutally tortured by him. Putin, says Michael, is as bad, if not even worse. This man has to be stopped at all costs, regardless of the consequences. Otherwise, only God knows where it will end. Our prayers and our thoughts are with the uh, people of Ukraine. And of course, there's huge calls now that Moscow must face uh, you know, more sanctions, more must be done because like, there's global revulsion and lots of people now accusing Moscow of war uh, crimes, particularly after the scenes out of uh, Bucha the germany reacted by expelling 40 of their russian diplomats and lithuania simply threw out their russian ambassador saying right that's it enough is enough of course we still have we've we've expelled four russian diplomats but we still have our russian ambassador here even though there's a lot of people say that that ambassador should be gone as well because he has lied to the irish people in the past even others will say well He was saying what he believed to be the truth. European leaders and the United Nations human rights chief all condemned the bloodshed, some of them also branding it genocide. And that's a word, of course, which the Ukrainian president Vladimir Vladimir Zelensky came out and said what has happened in Bucha is nothing more than uh, genocide. The US President Joe Biden uh, said that Putin should face a war crimes trial and then of course the Russians were straight out including their foreign minister Sergei Lavroy dismissing the scenes outside of uh, Kiev they were straight out uh, to say that the images were fake they also came out and said that the deaths occurred after the Russian force is pulled out of the area but it was interesting late last night newly released satellite photographs that were taken by a te- an independent technology uh, company showed that they've, they, they had photographs that were taken in mid-March which was before the Russians withdrew at the weekend and it showed what appears now to be the bodies in exactly the same place that they were found when the Ukrainian troops and when the independent journalists went in so there's actual evidence there that it happened while the Russians were in control of uh, Bucha but yet the Russians are coming out uh, saying that it was all it was made up it was there were signs of video forgery and various fakes which obviously is nothing, uh, is is not true. And when I was watching what was unfolding in Bucha, it got me then thinking about Mariupol, the southern port city of Mariupol, which is now nearly since the start of the war has been under siege. And God, I just dread to think when the Ukrainian army and when journalists and humanitarian aid, remember, there's no, there's no, um, humanitarian aid charities working in Mariupol at the moment, except for the citizens that are stuck inside and many of them trying to get out. You just dread to think what scenes are going to unfold in uh, Mariupol. And Poland, which of course is the country that has taken the largest number of refugees yesterday, they signaled out uh, France and Germany for not taking tougher action and they're urging Europe to quickly wean itself off Russian energy now Germany says it would stick with the more gradual approach to phase out the coal and the oil imports and they say they'll do it over several months and there's so many people now saying that that's what needs needs to stop we need to st- the world needs to stop buying coal and oil and gas from uh, Russia because of course that money then has been used to fuel this dreadful, dreadful war, but the Germans still not for really moving. They're, they're looking at it, but they're saying it is going to take uh, several m- months. But as I say, again, the newspaper is absolutely full today of the shock and the horrors coming out of Bucha. And it is, we will be talking about Russia and what more can be done, what needs to be done. How do we get this war to stop are the sanctions enough? Do we need to go for more severe sanctions? Actually, one of the calls we're going to be hearing on the programme in a couple of minutes is for all Irish companies to just stop. If they if they have any kind of business or trade going on in Russia, then cease the business and cease it immediately. 0818 103 103. Your thoughts welcome to this morning. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862. And Ellen in was on to say, would we ever publicly thank the two gentlemen from Lyre, no more details than that, who helped out Ellen yesterday. She got a puncture. She was on the road from Mallow to Bally yesterday, got a puncture, found herself in a bit of a pickle and these two very kind gentlemen, I'm assuming somebody passing, they were passing in a car, stopped, not a bother to them, out they hopped, sorted out the puncture for Ellen and got her back on the road. She doesn't have a name or anything, but perhaps the two gentlemen are listening this morning and they know exactly who we are talking about. If so, a big, big thank you from that lady whose name is Ellen who you helped out uh, yesterday. And Kate in Bantry was on to say her son is living and working in Cork City and would you believe her son is not able to access a GP service anywhere in the city. Now I don't know how long Kate's son has been living in Cork City and she said now if ever he's sick or feeling unwell and needs to see a GP he has to come home to Bantry in order to go See his own family doctor, isn't it? This and your, your case, your son is not on his own there, and lucky that he's still under the good care of his own family doctor. We hear of that more times, particularly from somebody new moving into an area. And it is my one big worry and concern with the Ukrainian refugees that are arriving all over the country because many of those are going to need to access a GP service, and our GPs already. Are, I mean it isn't the fault of any of the GPs in the city it's just they're not taking on any new patients because their workloads they're already stretched as it is and you'll find that it's not just in the city you'll find it across the county as well when people go when you move to a new area trying to access a GP it was never a problem in the past it certainly has become a problem in the last number of years and it's a problem that we've spoken about on the programme before because it's a problem that's going to get worse because we have more GP about to retire. And for whatever reason, it seems to be difficult to get young medical students to decide to become GPs for, you know, whether they look at it and that they see the caseload of our GPs at the moment and that it's, you know, that they just feel that they don't want to be working every hour that God sends. And anyone that works as a GP will tell you their caseload is huge at the moment, but it's something we're going to have to work at, whether we're going to need to look to outside of Ireland to bring in medically trained GPs from other countries to come work here, whether that's going to happen into the future, I don't know but yeah, uh, my heart goes out to your son Kate and if you're feeling unwell the last thing you want to do is get in the car to have to drive home to go see your doctor. Thank you for your call to 0818 103, 103. Court today on C 103 Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103, 103 And by the way a listener's been on to say does anybody know if the three coverage is down, uh, people People, um, I've had a call in to say that people in Dunmanway and in Dublin are having problems and, and we don't know about the rest of the city and county. So can you check your phone? Three coverage. Have you coverage at the moment or is it down or is it just something that is peculiar? Maybe a mass down in Dunmanway that also happens to be something, a similar event happening in Dublin. I don't know. It just seems too very... Extreme locations from Dublin to Dunmanway to both be affected by three, it could be a nationwide issue. So, if anybody can let us know, please, how is your three coverage at the moment? Joe Inkin when I was referencing what's happening in Ukraine, says England and America, Joe feels, are not doing enough to help the Ukrainians, even our own uh, country. We're talking about more sanctions, but it's the bigger powers like England and the US that should be moving and doing more. They should do it straight away and no more uh, talk. And I know from the from England from England's point of view, when it comes to taking in Ukrainian refugees, it really is a bit of a nightmare uh, over there, and there has been a lot of criticism from refugee campaigners who are just voicing absolute despair at the slow progress and the red tape that between trying to get Ukrainians who are desperately escaping a war situation, trying to get them to England. And actually, I I can speak from experience on this one. I've got relatives of mine over in England who have a business that works in Ukraine. And what they did was they went over with a minibus and they got some of the young women that they were working with over in and they actually went into Ukraine and this relation of mine and they brought out 11, I think it's six children and five adults, all young mums with small, tiny little children and brought them out. And the plan was, was to bring them back to the UK. They had rented a house for them. They were going to keep them all together and they would everything done, everything sorted out, but then trying to get to the paperwork and they were actually sponsoring these 11 women and their children to come so it wasn't going to be costing the UK government anything but the red tape that they have been wrapped up in has just been unreal and it's been going on for about the last two weeks and I was following their adventures on their Facebook and in various family group chats that we've been having and then I just suggested to them would they look to Ireland because they were really getting desperate to get them because they got out they got to Poland and then they went to Germany and they just were scratching their heads and didn't know where to go next with all these women and their children so I suggested would they be interested in coming to Ireland and they actually arrived at the weekend they got on on a boat in Cherbourg to Dublin and seemingly Irish ferries all of the costs were covered by Irish ferries the sailing costs and they got cabins to let all the women and children uh, sleep and then they arrived into Dublin they were pro- met by the Red Cross in Dublin v- processed quite quickly by all accounts and then the last I've heard of them they, got, they were going to Moor in Galway and then I'd, my relatives in England said do you know much about Moor? is it near you and I was saying well it's a beautiful part of the country I was hoping maybe they'd land somewhere here in Cork so I could keep an eye on them for them. But they're in Aranmore, and I haven't, and I'm hoping to check up on them later on today to see how they're getting on because I did see a report of the community centre in Moore that have been all done open. I think some 45 refugees arrived at the small hours of the morning so whether they're part of that group or not I'm unsure. But there does seem to be a lot of red tape in trying to get Ukrainians into England whereas we're doing the exact opposite here. We've just really thrown open our arms and our hearts and we've been really looking after these people as only we should do. 0818103103 our lines are open. A reminder to you that we've got our Racing Home for Easter Festival running right across this week it's your chance uh, to win Uh, tickets to go along to Easter Sunday we have a pair of tickets to give away every day and then on Friday all of our daily winners will go into a hat and one lucky listener will have their prize upgraded which will be dinner for two in the restaurant at the race course on Easter Sunday your prize includes admission your race card a reserved table in the restaurant and while you're there you'll enjoy a four course meal which over Overlooks the track. And then, following your day at the Racist, you'll be exhausted after it all. You'll get an overnight stay in Springford Hall Country House Hotel, which is located just 10 minutes away from the racecourse, we will have a racing question for you and um, we will give you that racing question later on today similar to what we did yesterday and then you'll text our uh, WhatsApp and if you would like to find out more and get tickets for the Racing Home for Easter Festival which runs from Saturday the 16th to Monday the 18th. You can check it all out on corkracecourse.ie According to a new report dealing with the costs of care arising from disability it shows the parents who care for for a child with a profound disability are spending almost 13000 euro a year more than other households and will be pushed to their financial limits due to soaring energy bills. The research was conducted on behalf of Family Carers Ireland and joining me from there their head of communications and policy and that of course is Catherine Cox. Good morning to you Catherine. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, Always a pleasure to to talk to you. Now, the figures here are quite uh, shocking. What areas come with the most additional costs for family carers?
5: yeah so um the report shows that areas such as transport which we know um and it's nothing i suppose unusual that finding um transport costs caring costs as well i think this is a really important one so the cost of accessing essential therapies like physiotherapy speech and language um ot occupational therapy and also respite privately and the, the report really shines a light on the fact that because the state is failing in providing the supports to family carers, those families, caring families, are have to, having to pay privately for what should be publicly provided um, supports and services. So, so again, they also look at things like personal care, clothing, um, special clothing, and housing adaptations and equipment. So families talk about how they had to buy a special chair, pay for a home, fundraising to get essential equipment for their families. So, you know, again, and we have been saying it for so many years, family carers in this country are not supported to care safely for their loved ones. And this report, or this report, which was conducted by the Vincentian Partnership for Social Justice, again highlights that fact.
2: And everyone is talking about the rising energy costs and everybody's noticing their electricity bills are going up, the gas bills are going up, even putting fuel in your car uh, is going up. Low income family carers, they're the ones, I take it, that you most worry about, Catherine, because they're the ones who are, are probably already struggling, but will struggle even more with rising energy costs.
5: Absolutely, and there's no doubt we're seeing unprecedented levels of stress and financial worries, and particularly with rising costs, um, you know, rise of food, but also obviously heating, oil, diesel, um, and certainly, you know, family, caring families are absolutely being pushed to the limit. You know, some are telling us they're pushed into debt, forced to cut back on essentials to keep the person they care for healthy and warm. So basically they're struggling to put food on the table and heat in their tanks, you know, which given... You know, the savings that family carers make to our state, 20 billion euro, their contribution to our state every year. Yet here we are in this day and age where they are still struggling, both financially but also emotionally. And as well as look at, I suppose, the direct costs of care in a home, the report also touches on the hidden costs. So families, for example, have to forego or family care forego employment opportunities. Therefore, they're not able to put savings aside. They're not able to engage in social activities outside their home. But also the the impact of caring on their mental health and well-being, having to fight for everything. Particularly, I think, parents of children with special needs, and as they get older, they fight for assessment, they fight for therapies, they fight when their child gets to 18 for adult services. It just seems like a never-ending battle, and it's exhausting. It puts pressure on relationships, on marriages, and the report talks about that as well, that stress and strain. That caring can put when the proper supports are not put in place, and unfortunately, for many families, that is the situation across Ireland.
2: Yeah, I mean, only yesterday I was speaking with a young mother with a, a child who is severely autistic, and the battle to get a school place for next September. Mm-hmm. And she was making the point that her four-year-old daughter, the next little one coming up, she's she knows straight away she'll just go, to, she'll just pop her name down at the local school, mm-hmm. and the little one will run through the gate. But the battle and the fight to get and and not even a local school it's going to be a, a, 20 minutes, she, she's happy enough that it's only 20 minutes away but just you could hear the frustration and the stress levels and as a family they're already dealing and trying to cope with a child with severe autism. And then only this morning on the Echo newspaper, I was reading on a lady who'll be well known to so many mm-hmm. people because she was a former Cork City councillor, Marion O'Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Marion will be well known because she cares for her brother who has yeah. an intellectual disability. But like for Marion to be on the front of the Echo saying today that her children are subsidising her household. That's just... I know. And, it, and it's, it's saddened to me that she even had to go public to say that.
5: It, it is, and that is the situation for so many family carers across the country. And quite often what happens is when a family carer does go forward, puts themselves out in the media, sometimes their case, something is done about that, but the system is not fixed. So we need to fix the system. We need to look at how do we support family carers to continue caring in their home and to do it safely. And that means we need to, for example, reinstate transports, um, support scheme, the mobility allowance was taken away in 2012, so 10 years ago we were promised a new transport scheme, yet 10 years on, still nothing. You know, people waiting on Uh, on a waiting list for two years for vital therapies. These are speech and language. You know, and again, denying children those interventions at an early age, that denies them the right to grow to their full potential. So it is scandalous. It is shocking. It is unfair. The supports for carers, respite in particular, non-existent in some parts of the countries. We talk to family carers who have had no break in years. And I know Marion would be. You would have talked about that herself over the years. Respite and the lack of respite. So really, we we are calling on the government to look, read this report, look at the pressures, look at the costs of care arising from disability, and we know there are social welfare supports there. And for some families, that helps, but it certainly doesn't help all families. Only one in four, for example, get the carers allowance because it's means tested, and it certainly does not allow family. To, to live an adequate and quality standard of life that they should be able to do. They're given so much to the state, yet it's been taken and they're getting nothing back in return.
2: And the one in four who do get the carer's allowance, does the do they qualify for fuel allowance?
5: No, so the carer's allowance, and again, this is, this is whether it's an anomaly, but it is extremely unfair. Carer's allowance is not one of the payments that is eligible and meets the criteria for the fuel allowance. So, so many family carers don't get that. So, they didn't get to avail of the increase in the fuel allowance over the last um, number of weeks. That, and, and,
2: and, and it makes no sense, but because by the doesn't. nature of a lot of what the caring that they're doing, heating has to be on for even longer of than course. in a normal house.
5: Uh, Absolutely. And their washing machines are constantly going, particularly if they have continence care issues. Their bins are twice as full if they have pads and, you know, nappies that are going into the bins. So so all of these costs are piling on top of these families. And yet we we seem to be ignoring it. Um, We seem to be just letting them get on with it. And many... Then reach a stage where they can no longer cope and the impact on their mental health in particular. We did a caring through COVID survey ourselves last year and found that over 50% of family carers themselves suffer with stress, anxiety, and severe mental health difficulties in some cases and also physically. It is very tiring if somebody is lifting and moving and you know having to use equipment and having to fight to get that equipment, not getting it as a as a right so services for in this country are discretionary for f- discretionary for family carers which means there is no legal entitlement to home care and home care supports. We need to get a statutory entitlement to home care in place as a matter of urgency at the moment, that's looking like it's going to take another year
2: or so. And only yesterday we were discussing the €200 electricity credit because it started to arrive in a number of our listeners' households uh, yesterday. And while that's welcome, that Mm -hmm. doesn't go far enough. Not for the people you're representing and talking about.
5: No, it doesn't. And I hear today the pub payment is stopping. It is today, Family carers couldn't get the POP payment. They weren't eligible. And, you know, if you look at the POP payment, it was €350 because that's what the government and the state decided. People couldn't live before that, or beneath that, rather. Yet, family carers' carers allowance payment is €224 a week for providing, in some cases, full-time care for a loved one. So where is the equity or the fairness in that?
2: Would you hear from a lot of families struggling financially, Catherine? We we would. we So much so, particularly over the last two years, we set
5: up a crisis fund. Um, and over the last two years, we have given out, I'd say, close to 500,000 euro in financial supports, grants. We paid for respite. We paid for oil and tanks. We paid food vouchers. Um, we bought bike-proof equipment for one mom who's daughter was biting her and really hurting her and not out of any, you know, her own fault. She was just extremely um, challenged in terms of her services. Everything was gone and this was her way of responding to that. We've bought new bedding for families. We've bought continence wear. We bought a bath for one lady, for her little boy, um, for uh, hydrotherapy. So look, families are definitely struggling financially and emotionally. Um, COVID has been really really difficult for everybody in society but I think particularly for family carers um you know, although many say they were isolating long before COVID ever came because they just couldn't get out of the house. So it's a difficult role. Carers want to care for their loved ones. They love them. Their loved ones want to stay at home, whether it's an older person, a person with disability, but they cannot do it on their own and they need the support of the state and they need the support of organisations like ourselves, Family Cares Ireland. We're here to help, but we need the government to back us up with that support as well.
2: And I know you had a big push for carers to be very open and honest when they were filling in their census form last Mm -hmm. uh, Sunday are you hoping many did and, and, and how are you hoping that might help
5: we we are. We're hoping that care is self identified. We're hoping they tick that question twenty three to say yes, they are providing unpaid care because if we have an accurate figure of carers in this country, which we know there are over five hundred thousand, if that figure is accurate, at least it allows us to lobby for supports and services for those carers. We know today there's one in nine people providing care. By twenty thirty that'll be one in five people Whoa. providing care in their home. Yeah, which is an incredible number. And, you know, it's great that we have advances in in medical science. People are living longer, um, older people are living longer and healthier lives. But when they do need care in the home, we need to ensure that the supports are there to allow their family carers to care for them.
2: And, And what is it? Is it because somebody is looking after a son or a daughter or a mother or a father that for some reason they don't identify themselves as carers?
5: Yeah, it is. Sometimes they, as you said, they see themselves as by the relationship. So of course, you know, if I'm a mom to a child with a disability, first and foremost, I'm a mom. But in that case, I may also be a family carer if I'm providing care to a child with additional care needs. So whether that's a disability, whether it's a mental health, whether it's physical disability, whether it's intellectual disability, whether they're on the autism spectrum, if that person is Um, providing care, then they are a mom, but they are also a family carer and they do need to self-identify because by self-identifying, they can get the information they need, they can get the advocacy they need, and they can know what their rights and entitlements and what supports and services are there for them.
2: Okay, well done. You continue to do fantastic work at uh, Family Carers Ireland, Catherine. Uh, And thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks so much, Patricia. Good morning to you. Uh, Bye bye. Uh, She's a fantastic woman and a brilliant advocate for uh, carers. That is Catherine Cox of Family Carers Ireland. 0818 103 103. Bernie is standing in for John Paul today. If there's anything you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can text, you can WhatsApp the programme as well throughout the morning. The lines are open at 0862. 103, 103. A texter says, uh, thank you to Catherine Cox of Family Carers Ireland for advocating. I'm a carer to my elderly mum and I've COVID at the moment and now I am solely taking care of my mother with the hope that I don't infect her as the home help was pulled out. Where is the sense in all of that? Particularly when we're trying to keep our elderly safe at home. Oh, my heart goes out to you. And I'm assuming the home help was withdrawn because you had COVID. COVID, which doesn't make any sense. As you say, you're trying to now look after your mum, look after all of her care needs and do the care needs that the home help would have been providing. And so you're going to be really up close and personal to her. And that's tough. Listen, having had COVID last week and still my energy level's not back, I, my heart really does uh, go out to you. And I did mention that yesterday when I was talking about my own spat with COVID uh, last week. The hardest part of it was in the early stages when I was feeling really unwell. And trying to look after Marcia at the same time, and I was just very lucky that she was a really good, uh, pa- good little patient. But it was a real, real struggle. But if you're doing a lot of very manual, hands-on help, you know, I'm kidding your mother maybe in and out of bed or whatever, that really is a tough, tough journey you're on at the moment. Uh, we wish you nothing but love and luck, and hope that you make a full, full recovery and that your mother will be okay. Thank you for your text to 0862103103. 103. Okay, I'm going to take a break. glam with. GAA have sent me in a WhatsApp. It's the development uh, fundraiser and they are looking for people's scrap metal. Now they are holding a collection this coming Saturday the 9th of April between 10am and 2pm and the drop off is in Glamworth Village. But if you have larger items that need collection then they can organise that. You can call William at 086-1089282 but all types of scrap metal they suggest things like old trailers, if you've got water pumps, if you have an old combine harvester rotting away and you want to get rid of it they're looking for electric motors old milk tanks, milk buckets they have I'm just reading down through the list some of the items I don't even know what they are they're looking for steel barrels old radiators any type of cast iron wire or sheep wire so if you're having a little bit of a clean out in the yard I imagine and you've got scrap metal there's a good opportunity for you to get rid of it responsibly and at the same time money can be raised for Glanworth GAA this coming Saturday in Glanworth Village between 10am and 2pm we wish them all uh, luck with that um 103 103. Barney taking your calls Mel in uh, nahini listening to me I'm assuming talking with the Carers Association as well and somebody who's living independently on their own I, I take it from this uh, call uh, Mel is 70 years of age does lives on his own he pressed his panic button recently because unfortunately he a fall and that's the great thing about the panic buttons so you can press and help will arrive he needed an ambulance but he said the problem was it took over four hours for the ambulance to arrive to his home in nock now the big problem was that while Mel was on the floor he was obviously cooking his dinner the oven was on and he was lying on the floor and the food was burning and you can imagine the sense of panic because he said he was terrified that the whole house might burn down if they didn't get to him sooner but a four hour wait while he's lying on the, on the ground and I, I'm assuming Mel there was nobody else to come and help you out that does that, see, that does seem shocking but again an issue that we've spoken about and done interviews on countless times that the ambulance services, is another service in this country that is hugely hugely stretched they do the best that they can to get to people as quickly as possible but then priority cases come in but that was a scary thing to happen to you Mel hopefully you've made a full recovery and that you're okay now. Thank you for your call and then Marie was on to us Saying Thank God that the €200 euro electricity credit has arrived with her latest electricity bill. She opened her bill this morning. She said it's almost doubled. She said she's never seen an electricity bill so high. €360. Euro. It's normally under the €200 euro, uh, mark. And she said, and they got her thinking then, can they really consider putting up the carbon tax in May? She's dreading the bill that's going to arrive in two months time because she knows in two months time the 200 euro electricity credit won't be included in it. She said she's finding herself now running around the house switching off lights and she's wondering are others the same are others actually stopping to think about their electricity use in their house because that's what we're all being told there's a bit of personal responsibility as well and that we need to and we only mentioned this uh, yesterday about the personal responsibility bit wasn't it the Greens it was the Green uh, Eamon Ryan who was saying Uh, to people and they're actually talking about running a public awareness campaign to back this up to try to get all of us to reduce our energy bills and you know I mean even things like so that we won't be putting as much diesel or petrol into the car. They're suggesting that we cut out one car journey a week. But when it comes to the home, it's going to suggest that we take shorter showers. When you're boiling the kettle, stop and reflect on how much water you're putting into the kettle. Now, seemingly the kettle is one of the things that really does cost a lot from an electricity point of view if you've got a meter that you can see you see the meter buzzing around when you switch on the kettle so the idea is if you just need to have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee that you only boil the amount of water that you need and I take it a lot of people are already doing that and of course the old one that we're always told to do turn down the thermostat on your heating because that will help on your home heating but poor old Marie is frantically trying to do whatever she can because she dreads her bill in two months time but she's wondering have others noticed just how much electricity has gone up. By You see it's been slowly 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 going up over the last year wasn't there? Five different energy hikes over the last year. And the, the awful part about it is, Marie, there's more to come because across last week and the week before, a lot of the companies were announcing that in April and into May there's going to be further increases. So, so you are right to worry about the bill that's going to arrive in in uh, two months' time. But Marie's big one, as she said, can they possibly, uh, are they still going to go ahead with putting up the carbon tax? But I was reading in the papers today that Fine Gael, uh, TDs, they want the carbon tax increase delayed by at least six months until after the war in Ukraine ends and it seems a motion is going to be discussed at the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party meeting and also calling the government to seek a derogation from the EU which would allow VAT on fuel to be lowered and of course that, that's something that we as a country, as a government can do ourselves, they would have to go to the EU for derogation and I know I think they've already been been discussing it with the, with the EU but, and I don't know where they're at with, uh, at with that derogation but certainly the Fine Gael uh, TDs they are putting a motion down to say halt on the Increase in the carbon tax and I heard the Rural Affairs uh, Minister, the Mayo TD, Michael Ring, he, he's, he's one of those Fine Gael TDs very much supporting it because he says people really are struggling and as he's you know a former Rural Affairs Minister, he'll know and will be speaking on behalf of people in rural areas who really are finding it very, very hard uh, indeed. So he's going to look for that the carbon tax doesn't go up. It's expected to go up in uh, May. But the Taoiseach, Nihol Martin, was asked about this yesterday. He's insisting that the carbon tax increase will go ahead. It's scheduled to go ahead on the 1st of May. So it's now under a month's time. He also says the government isn't contemplating a mini-budget in the face of the rocketing energy bills I mean there's been so many calls by the opposition parties I mean Sinn Féin, Mary Macdonald has been calling for it for some time saying we need a mini budget the should now is ruling that out he went on yesterday to defend the government steps already taken when asked about suggestions that inflation could peak at 10% this summer uh, he says there is uncertainty because of the war and he said one cannot be definitive in terms of predictions he said what we have to avoid is chasing inflation and he says he thinks everybody including the opposition needs to be very honest about that and in particular he was talking about pay increases. There's been so many talks now from unions saying we need pay rises. He says pay rises would themselves be inflationary because they would need to be paid for by increases in prices to consumers of goods and services and he says fueling inflation wouldn't help people in terms of the cost of uh, uh, living Uh, but he certainly seems to be somebody because we know that the green party have straight away, Eamon Ryan has been out from day one will not certainly won't contemplate the carbon tax any lowering of the carbon tax or even leaving the carbon tax as is and we know from last October's budget it was decided that the carbon tax would go up on the 1st of May but of course we were not to know back in October what the situation was going to be like on the 1st of May and how much energy bills were going to have gone up by. So there's the Taoiseach backing up Eamon Ryan. And actually, he also backed up Eamon Ryan on those personal energy efficiency things that I mentioned, about, you know, taking the shorter shower and boiling less water in the kettle and leaving the car at home one day a week and walk or take a bus uh, instead and he said it's very easy to lampoon those uh, points but he was in defence of them and, and saying that we all need to do our bit and I'm wondering you know thinking of Marie running around trying to switch off the lights how many people are are many people now conscious of electricity electricity is one of those things you hit a switch the light comes on you know, I won't. I dare say you switch on the, the immersion. You won't switch on the immersion and forget about it anyway. But, but, but are people stopping people who say? in the past would have used the immersion a lot? Are you stopping and saying, no, I'm not going to put the immersion on? Have people stopped using tumble dryers, for example? What about the dishwasher? Are you using that as often? Are you being careful with your the washing that you're putting into your washing machine? Are you making sure, for example, that you only do a full load? I suppose they're all personal things that we can do. And I don't know how many people are that aware of those kind of energy saving little things that can be done, but we're, we'll await and see what's expected to be some kind of a public awareness campaign. We'll no doubt be running the ads here on the radio telling us all on how we can be more energy efficient. And actually on energy eff- efficiency, I had an email in from A. It says, hi Patricia, a climate control unit there's a new. I must find. I don't. Don't know. Do I know what a climate control unit is? But the emailer says it costs about one hundred euro. It has certainly saved us. I would say half a fill of oil over the year. The reason is it has an hourly setting which is adequate for one hour in the morning early when the temperature reaches 18 degrees it snoozes so the heating goes off. I think it comes back on again in the afternoon early evening for about another hour at at the most not required during the day unless you're sitting down at home then there'll be another hour later on maybe about half past seven. I know it might not work for everyone but we also have Attic and Wall in We had that installed about 10 years ago and that certainly is saving another fill of oil at least once a year. We don't need a fire if we use the oil as above, which obviously therefore is another saving and we do live in a bungalow, keeping active also helps. So maybe some tips for others who are trying to very much keep a control on the oil that they're using or the electricity that they're using or the gas that they're using. You might consider investing in about 100 euros, not that expensive, a climate control unit According to this listener, it's a godsend and to certainly save money in their household. Thank you for sharing that with us to Patricia at c103.ie. Bernie taking your calls 0818 103
0: 103. C103 Jobs. With Munster Technological University,
3: enhance your career prospects with MTU's range of full time, part time,
0: and professional courses. Succeeding together with mtu.ie.
2: HGV truck drivers they're wanted for full and part-time positions that's in the Charleville area 087 781 49147 Construction operatives are wanted for installing damp proofing and waterproofing products call 021 743 4692 or you can email jobsdpmireland at gmail.com Support pharmacists are wanted. That's for Wilson's Pharmacy. They're based in Cove. CVs, please, to jobs at wilsonspharmacy at gmail.com And ground workers, concrete finishers and general operators, all wanted for Inna, Shannon and Middleton areas. Call Mary for more details. 87 2787 You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is... C103.
3: You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
2: Cork today on C one oh three. Call Patricia with your comment. O eight one eight one oh three one oh three. Now calls have been made to make dyslexia training mandatory for student teachers so they can fully support primary and secondary school pupils with this learning difficulty. The plea has been made by Gael Senator Tim Lambert who joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning. And you're welcome to the programme. Is there any model at teacher training level that deals with dyslexia at the moment? There's
1: a very limited model, and I think that's the problem. And the problem is it's not mandatory. So the model that's done is take into consideration all levels of disabilities regarding um, children or students that need help. But when you look at dyslexic in particular, like it's literally the most common you're looking at 100,000 children at the moment in the actual school system itself between primary and secondary who are dyslexic. That works out to be three per classroom. And what I've been calling for, I've been calling for that to be mandatory training for all teachers, and particularly going through training college, that they have the skills that can help these kids and also diagnose the kids that need help when it comes to being dyslexic. Because it's the most common one, because of the so many people in our society, I think that teacher Training Colleges need to change their approach regarding it.
2: Yeah, and we certainly know a lot more about it today, Tim, than, say, we did when you or I were in school.
1: Indeed. Look, when you or I were in school, if you're dyslexic, you probably got to know it, must try harder yeah. after the child, trying as hard as you possibly could. There is a better informed um, education system, but to help there is quite significant. Whether you have a reading pen to help you read, whether you have an iPad to help you write, you also like the sounds, everything has changed regarding education. But what we're really missing, and the higher you go up the, the calendar or the pyramid, the more help you get. But that's particularly at a um, foundation level and a primary school level, if we can diagnose children with dyslexia at an earlier age, get the score in place, the changes to their, to their life and to society are huge. And that's where the actual failing is. You talk to people who go to third level, they say that uh, the level of support they get is amazing. You talk to people in primary level, you've literally children been diagnosed in fifth and sixth class with mm. dyslexic on the sixth or seventh centile, which is outrageous in so many ways. And I think that's really where the effort needs to go. And in fairness to some teachers, and I mean this now, like they've taken off their own back to go and do training courses, like maybe like uh, CPD courses with the Flexic Association of Ireland to upskill themselves. And that's kind of what's happening at the moment. The teachers off their own back are actually going away in their own private time to actually become upgraded on, in what really is a core educational need now, which is to find out who's dyslexic, but also. To know you must change your teaching methods with it. I had I raised this from the Shell last week and I got a very poor response to the Minister, but I had two students from a teaching training college and Munster contact me after who are finishing their course in the next three or four weeks and have done no training regarding dyslexic services and they didn't they don't even know the book toe by toe, which every parent who's a sexy child knows this Terrible book that we all go through yeah. to teach people the actual sound. So it really is a, a failing of the state that we don't have it mandatory. And I think it's the first step in trying to make sure we get a fair service for our kids.
2: And well done to those teachers who do, who oh. decide themselves to go off and uh, try and equip themselves with the skills that they need. Because if a teacher identifies a child that they think you know, this child may have an issue uh, and it could be dyslexia. What's the process then for getting a, a proper diagnosis for that yeah. child?
1: So that comes out to the same as assessments, which is really you go through the public system and a private system. And you go through the public system, you put in the waiting list and you the school gets so many places per year that they actually send you to be assessed. So depending on the size of the school, depending on the need, you you could get through that. What other people do then is they take the private approach, they get it privately assessed. But on average, that report you know, is not taken into consideration. It's not taken into consideration when it's, when you need to get um, exams taken into consideration regarding what force need for exams, such as extra time, or using your technology. Like I came across a scenario last year, which drove me mad, where I had a young girl who was using her technology dur- during day in our school on a continuous basis to help her reason, to help her write. But when she did her first state exam in fourth year, that wasn't acknowledged and they took the actual iPad off her. It was akin to taking the glasses off a lady who has who was um, who was impaired when it came to actually see. Yeah, about so,
2: someone with bad eyesight who needs the glasses. Yeah, and so the, and, was, and that was because that was child's parents went privately for the assessment. Babies.
1: And that became the loophole in the whole thing that because it was a private assessment the Department of Education had not take on board and it became down to the terrible world whether it's mild, severe. And like, to me, if you're dyslexic or dyslexic, how severe you are really doesn't actually, you know, come into it. So there became this element of how severe she should be regarding what level of support she could get. And then the frustration of this entirety is you talk to UCC or any of these organisations they're fantastic. They really are. They go out of their way to accommodate so many people, and they go through the system. And the accommodations they put in place are fantastic. So we have a break in the link, and the link is definitely, unfortunately, at primary at this level. And I think unless we get it started with the actual teacher training, make sure the one hundred thousand kids going through our secondary and primary will have the ability to diagnose first of all, and then dealt in a different way when it becomes teaching the actual subject itself we would have real change. And it's not just English, like it affects every like maths is a classic one. The actual questions in maths are usually written. Do so you speak maths and maths as a mathematical genius because you don't understand the words, you're not gonna answer the question.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am I'm, I'm I'm baffled by that poor girl who had the iPad um her oh, tablet yeah. taken off her. If if her Parents had gone public, and no doubt they did try to get her onto the public yeah. list. She would have had the the same, uh, certainly similar assessment to the one that the parents were lucky enough to be able to pay for privately. And if they'd been done in the public system, she'd have been okay. Yeah, yeah, that was the, the absolute. Okay, do do we know why the Department of Education will not recognise these public assess these private assessments? What's what's the theory so and the, the reason so behind the, it?
1: They're very slow to take them on board because they're saying there's slightly different criteria taking them, and they want to take the assessments of their own um, so-called you know experts regarding what's been diagnosed. So it's becoming a huge issue regarding the public versus the private, and like there is like the classic are you buying a, a report that's going to benefit your child? Nobody's ever going to do that. Nobody's right. ever going to and do
2: that. No, and nobody That's, wants to put a label on a child unless the child has it has something that they need to be diagnosed with. Nobody is willingly paying to say, please tell me my child is dyslexic.
1: And the biggest issue, we have loads of issues with dyslexic kids. The biggest issue is self-confidence, right? They affect their self-confidence. They go into themselves. And one of the wonderful courses that Dyslexic Association of Ireland do is dyslexic and I which is basically a confidence-building course that they get loads of kids together in the classroom who are all dyslexic, and they get a few serious good mentors there and role models to say, I'm dyslexic, look at me, I got through life wonderfully. And it builds our self-confidence. And the dyslexic association have rolled that that course out pre-pandemic now in terms around the country, and it has benefited so many kids because... You're not the unusual one in the class. You're a part of society. And I think that's probably what the best course of sex association have ever rolled out. And personally, I just think it's wonderful.
2: Well done. Because well I, I remember going in primary school, there was one girl in my class who always had difficulty with reading. And Looking back now, and it was only many, many years after I left school and when I started to discover what dyslexia was all about, this girl came into my head saying, I bet you that's what was wrong with her. She was just dyslexic. And of course, in that time, nobody knew anything about uh, dyslexia. And because of that, she was probably the shyest, quietest girl In the class, and I often wondered what happened to her since, and how she got on in life, and 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 we allowed that to happen, and it was nobody's fault because nobody understood what dyslexia was. Whereas we can't say the same about today. And dyslexia is nothing to do with intelligence, and because of that, you will have pupils who will hide this learning difficulty.
1: Absolutely, and I think that self-confidence element, in particular, particularly look, not, not particularly young girls, but there is this issue of people shying away from it, you know. Now, I do think having technology coming into the classroom has kind of broken that link because there was this issue, oh I have an iPad, help me read you're a bit unusual. Now everyone has a little bit of technology coming into the classroom which has kind of broken that mm-hmm. barrier down a little bit, which is really, really helpful. But like the the accommodations and the technology that's there in particular in the last four or five years has is the key to making sure that we can break down all these barriers. But like it has to start at the ground level. It has to start with our primary school teachers in particular and the training and teacher training colleges. And if we do that, that lady that you had in class many years ago, hopefully people like that won't have the same issue.
2: Yeah, and that wouldn't that wouldn't happen today. But no. my, Tim, I had a friend of mine not that long ago, and that within the last seven years, whose son got to first year before he was diagnosed. And even though she had a feeling there was something something up, uh, she was asking for assessments. Was told, oh no, there's people way worse, yeah, and like that. Not the school's fault. The school is limited in the number of. You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Assessments. So there are still children falling through the gaps and, you know, leaving primary school, going into secondary school to only get a diagnosis then is just shameful.
1: Yeah, because usually your core learning becomes the reading. Yeah. And, you know, for in primary, if you have that core understanding going in, going to secondary school after, you're at sea you even start. And it's already a big change for people going from primary to secondary. And it's amazing about people have contacted me over the last maybe two or three years because I've been all banging this drum. Like the amount of scores you get, in particular, about people going from maybe sixth class into primary school and or into secondary. secondary school, and didn't being diagnosed, and did their life changes because. They get the help, they get the accommodations, they get the technology. They understand that they're not just, there's not something wrong, it's just they see things slightly different in the world. Yeah. yeah.
2: And go. And I would worry about the larger class sizes. I mean, if you've got a teacher, you know, with a large class, that's when you're really at a danger of missing, unless, as you say, you have the skills to be able to identify what dyslexia looks like in a child.
1: Yeah, and it comes down to several things: the ethos of the school, ethos of the principal, ethos of the school of the actual uh, classroom teacher, and it comes that comes down to that in an awful long way. And if you have a large class over thirty, it's very hard for any any teacher to pick up who's what or who's not. We're just struggling all the way through. And like, let's be honest: like when you're dealing with kids, maybe six, seven, eight, first, second, third, like it is a, a loud class to keep control of. But like it's that kind of period of time that if you catch dyslexic at the right stage, get them involved in the programs, get them used to the technology, get them used to the toe by toe, use whatever special growing grinds or readers that are available, like the readers they changed now are so friendly, they engage people more, engage kids more uh, that's the te- that's the the program that can change lives, and this is such a simple thing to get right like mm. to me. And like that's why I got so cranky with the minister. This is like getting the heads of the management of the training colleges together to say we have ten percent of the population, hundred thousand kids in our system who are dyslexic. We need to have a mandatory dedicated teacher training course for dyslexics going through teacher training college, and we did need to encourage the teaching um, society to go through more upgrading training to make sure that the teachers that are already there are trained. Because unless they're trained, unfortunately, they can't diagnose it, they can't teach it and they can't engage it. People. But we also
2: need to look at how we diagnose this public versus private system oh, totally. has, got to, has got to be looked at. And if, if it's a case that they just don't want to, re- the, 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 the way the private system is done is different to the public one. Well, then work with the people who operate the private services and say, OK, let's align them so that they, the same test is reflected across private and public.
1: But there, there, there is another issue here about, you know, you know people who can pay for it and well,
2: people who can't pay listen, for it. listen, don't I, start me on that. that don't start me on scenario. that. It is so desperate. You, it is it is desperate. Yeah. But parents will go to any lengths any length. to, I have, to help their
1: children. I, I have a St. Vincent, Nepal area, a group in my area that I've paid for two tests wow. in the last few years.
2: Wow. Because
1: they put their hands in the pocket and they'll sort it out. And, like, that's another huge issue. And you got an issue, and this is very crude though, but like, Certain court society can pay for the blinds, pay for everything, and that's all really well. But we need to help all sections of society here. Yeah, yeah. 100%. 100%. Hard.
2: Listen, uh, Tim, thank you for that. And no uh, g- keep us informed if you do manage to get this introduced. Because I think a, a lot of parents will say it certainly is the right move. And I think those young teachers heading in, those trainee teachers, will want it. They want those skills as well. Tim, listen. And they do. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Good morning to you. That is uh, Fine Gael Senator Tim Lambert, on the topic of dyslexia and the need for mandatory training for all student teachers. 0818 103, 103. John. Bernie is sitting in for John Paul, taking your calls this morning. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103.
4: Nick Richards plays Cork's Greatest Hits for your workday on C103. Hi, this is Nick and I play Greatest Hits. Oh, like, this.
3: I'm like this.
4: And night. this. Love got to do? Got to do with and this. That's the power of love.
0: Richards. Weekdays from one. C103.
1: Starting to feel those lunchtime rumbles? Get Cork's lunchtime favourites delivered by Just Eat. From boojum to Centra or maybe even Subway. Whatever it is you're after, order from Just Eat today.
0: Did somebody say Just
1: Eat? Participating stores only. See justy.ie for details. Collect.ie clutter gone in a click. I hear you can get anything collected. We sure can. Okay, so can you collect a toaster, a fridge, a lawnmower, twelve printers, a broken bathtub, a back door, and a cracked aquarium? Of course, no problem at all. All right. Collect with a K. Can you collect a washing machine, three wardrobes, a wheelbarrow, a six-piece garden furniture set, and a World War II tank? Weird, but sure. We can get anything collected.
4: All rubbish, great and
0: small. When you think waste, think collect. Our partners provide metal skips, skip bags, or a two-man and a. And junk removal service. With collect.ie, your clutter is gone in a Chris here from
2: Audi Cork. Our annual demo and used car sale is happening soon, with hundreds of thousands of euros in savings across the Audi Pro Plus range. Great offers on the A3, A4, A6, Q5, Q7 and more. Complimentary service plan with all sale cars. Sale starts Wednesday and open this Sunday, at 12-4. The annual demo and used car sale at Audi Cork, Bandon roundabout, AudiCork.ie.
1: CityLink are adding six new daily services to their Cork Limerick Galway timetable. Travel in comfort with plugs, Wi Fi and toilet on board. With fares starting from just €9, euro, save money on fuel, parking and tolls. And take the stress out of your journey. Leave the car at home. Cruising comfort between Cork Limerick and Galway with citylink.ie. At Borabwee Co-op Farm and DIY Store we're all about plumbing, electrical goods,
0: farm inputs and convenience. Our farm store is open six days a week including all day Saturday At our Super Value we offer a night hatch service till 10pm and diesel in our
1: forecourt 24-7 Borabwee Co-op and Super Value Wee, at the heart of the community
2: Court today on C103 Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 0862103103 103 Now while we're all looking on in horror At the situation that continues to unfold in the beautiful country of Ukraine. Many of us are trying to do what we can either by donating money or supporting fundraisers that will help the people of this war torn country. So to discuss a concert at St George's Arts and Heritage Centre in Mitchellstown tomorrow night, I'm joined by Bill Power. Good morning to you, Bill. Hi, Patricia. Uh, Good morning. You're welcome uh, to the program. Now you've got quite a stunning lineup for tomorrow night. Did you have any problems getting people to offer their services?
3: Well, I have to say you no. Know, that a number of people, as soon as they heard we were doing this, contacted us, um, and we were pleasantly surprised. The first up was Magella Cotta. Now Magella has performed with us in the past, and um, as soon as she heard we were doing it, she contacted Bel Canto, who we had been in, making inquiries with. So she's singing with them. And another example of it is Grace McMahon Grace is a fantastic jazz singer, um, and uh, Mo O'Connor. Some will remember him from "Lotus Whisper" in Fomoy. Oh
2: yeah, yeah. And
3: um, yeah, Mo will be will be um, strumming along with her on the night. And then we have, um, in fairness, anybody then that we had contacted at the very early stages, and um, the Folks, Kiran O'Gorman, um, Eugene and Eugene O'Cannon and he's he's before the ghosts, and um, they all jumped in very, very quickly to say they'd love to be involved with this.
2: So um, is, is it a mixture of all different types of music?
3: It is. It is. Um, basically, all the performers, they won't be performing together, at least that's not planned as it stands anyway. But um, all the performers um, will do their thing. Um, most of them, in fact, all of them have performed with us before. Um, and I think they felt, as we do, that this is something that we need to do to try and do some little bit to help, you know. And, and all uh,
2: all of them giving of their time and talent. Everybody doing their work for free. Oh, and fantastic. Justin, Justin Finn is doing all the
3: sound and, and um uh, lighting for us at no charge. So every single penny raised tomorrow night will be going to Ukraine.
2: Well done. And well done.
3: Thomas Thomas Power in, in um Print Man and Mitchell's town, he's done all the printing of the posters and tickets and things like that at no charge again. So it's it's fantastic to get that kind of support. And this,
2: this the, the setting of St George's Church, uh, Bill, I'm, I'm always saying it, there's something very special, isn't there, about oh, singing yeah. and music inside in a church?
3: Well, everybody who comes to us who hasn't been there before, and when I say everybody now, I mean performers, they're obviously very experienced and they go to a lot of venues. We hear that through them and through sound guys and various other people that a lot of people are now talking about St George's well. Um yeah, um, we were up meeting some people in Cork yesterday in relation to some plans they have uh, coming down the pipeline and what we're hearing is that there is no venue of our type north of Cork City and this is kind of generating um, interest within the music industry. So, you know, we're we're very conscious that things like the sound and the acoustics in St George's they're perfect. It's, it's as good as you're ever going to get it anywhere. It's a really good acoustics building um, and of course The other thing is that, you know, we have spent a lot of money on the building and not just doing essential sort of work that a lot of people don't see, in fact, but also doing things like painting and decorating the building, making the building feel nice, putting in new lighting systems, things like that. That's all. And either we've it done or we're going to be doing it.
2: And where where are you at with the refurbishment work?
3: (laughs) Well... (laughs) <laughs> we often ask ourselves that question I'm <laughs> not quite sure well it to look this time three years ago we didn't actually own the building yeah, we didn't yeah. I mean it, 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 you're, it, up, you're, you're up you're up you know?
2: and running you're up, <coughs> I mean, up and running because I I yeah. mean I remember when you when you first moved to this idea I thought God help us this will be something in 25 years time we'll still be talking about because it seemed like such a mammoth task
3: it is and and look some of us um, in there we, we live and breathe the thing um, you have to Kind of do it that way, but the mammoth task, I suppose. Every every problem you fix is a problem less to be thinking about.
6: Yeah.
3: Um, you know our biggest problem is this is how it goes. Our biggest problem three years ago was a roof with thirty or forty leaks in it. And um, that's fixed. Then the problem becomes painting and decorating. Then the problem becomes electrical. This year, and um, we're we're taking some serious steps in in terms of of the um, electricity within the building. Repointing the walls and trying to put in a decent system to warm the place um, for next winter. You know, there's, there's always another problem to be solved, but you, you, we kind of forget the things we've accomplished and the things that are fixed, and we're always looking to what's the next thing to be done. And um, that's just look, that's just the way we are. The building doesn't stand still. You know, we have we have over a hundred thousand in loans that we'll be trying to figure out how to pay off at one of these days.
2: And you and you, and, and you will you pay you'll pay them off yeah, because, as you say, now the people are starting to talk about this as a venue. Now the people are starting to perform there. They want to come back. People will go there. People will think, what a great venue. Yes. You know, it's it's all taking time because at the end of the day, it was a disused church that suddenly yes. now is, you know, a heritage and art centre. So, you know, I, I, I think just, you've I done amazing in three years.
3: And, and I suppose if you think of it and, and the reality of the building was the last major work done in the building was in the 1880s. Yeah. There were some bits of work done in the 50s and, and early 80s, but they were very small compared to what we're doing now. And, and I suppose, to put things in a context, back in the 1880s, the building was completely re-roofed. There was new pews put in, new flooring, new windows, all sorts of things done for £1,600. Pounds. <laughs> £1,600 pounds wouldn't repair a window up there at this stage.
2: I well, know, I won't even ask you, what, what, what did you pay on the roof? <laughs> but yeah, it's it's incredible. And and it's what you're doing for future generations. They are the ones, you know, it could have been left to go into Rack and ruin.
3: But well, look, we're very conscious of that. Uh, we're all passing through, and, and we're very conscious all the time that we've just, if you like, we've inherited a building that we're holding in trust for future generations. And um, We're fortunate in that, I suppose, there's been great support within the community because people can see what we can do there. And we're also in the business of trying to... Uh, we, we run the place as a business, and, and we make no apologies for that, but we are a registered charity, which means that... um Every penny made in Saint George's goes back into Saint George's. It's not that anybody's being paid. Mm. You know, no director is paid. For example, we put all our time in for free, and we do that because we're passionate about it. Yeah. We mm. really do, you know. And well, I have to say, Anne and Andrew and Mervyn, they are the mainstays of that building and making it happen. Um, it wouldn't be there without them. So it is a team effort in every sense,
2: and you know? and your good self. It wouldn't be there without well, you, yeah. without you either. So tomorrow when, when night, my,
3: pri- my primary function is to drive them nuts. Uh, you know?
2: <laughs> <laughs> so t- 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 tomorrow night tickets, uh, fifteen euro. They're on say locally. Yeah. I take it is
0: it?
3: They're, yeah, uh, they're on sale in, in in really super value. They're uh, the favourite and uh, roaches, um uh, I always pick them up, watch a spare. I have to yeah. be care for the second. But page. it's
2: you know, it's a it's a chance to get out and have a really nice evening as well. And you know, people are slowly but surely coming back out after COVID. And I know there are still people uh, very nervous. But I mean, you can wear a mask if you want to wear a mask. All yeah. of that's you know what I mean. If, whatever makes you feel comfortable.
3: Look, our our primary thing all the time during lockdown and, and since and um, is essentially to keep people safe and comfortable. And you, if you feel comfortable, it's it's because you feel safe. So I've seen with the concerts, the last one that we had a couple of weeks back. Yeah, people are opting to wear the mask while they were seated. Perfectly entitled to do that, and we've no problems whatsoever. And if they're really in a good mood, by the way, mm. we always encourage people to bring their own can or their own bottle of <laughs> beer or their own bottle of wine.
2: It's a BYOB. <laughs> BYOB. I
3: tell you, and and and. The, in the early days, people were kind of hiding the bottles They thought we were going to give out to them or something. Else, and they were kind of <laughs> known see the shelf in front they, they were not for prayer books they were for Bottle the Boys you
2: know <laughs> well <laughs> we, done
3: well done you know so it's a bit of fun thanks, and
2: listen well, well done to yourself and Terry Carney last uh, Monday week when I unfortunately well, was, was down with the COVID because I was yeah, kicking myself cause it, was, back, yeah. it was an interview I really wanted to do was to talk to you both about the time capsule but I did get to hear it on, on the podcast what did you end up yourself putting on your time capsule
3: well what, what I, I, I will tell you two parts well three parts I suppose and we had a, a sort of a huge family tragedy last weekend that our pet dog of 15 years, um, as they say, he went to the Great Boneyard in the sky. Yeah. Um, so that's caused a lot of upset. Um, and uh, I, of course, with my particular interest, and I'm, I think I might be the only one who, who's done this, um, I've made reference to the fact that this year is the centenary of the looting and burning of Town Castle, which I don't care what anyone says was the greatest loss to Mitchellstown in its entire history. Okay. Um, and actually, we're we're going to be holding a conference in Saint George's in August to look at all the burnings and destruction in North Cork um, during the War of Independence.
2: And we look forward and to chatting to you yeah. on that.
3: We're, we will be talking about that. We're, we're getting a, we're lining up some very good and a very mixed bank of academics people to speak on Liam Lynch, General um, General Liam Lynch, General Liam Tobin, who was very strong, trust strong connections. Um, uh, we have uh, some people then of course speaking specifically on the destruction of the the big hose in particular,
2: okay, so you mentioned that in your time capsule
3: so that that that, I, that I had to get a mention and the, the other mention is, is what my son put in, so I can't say anything about that. Okay,
2: Please.
3: all right. But, but all I know is I didn't call anybody names, and as much as I feel
2: well I could come went on. It was good to see. I was I was watching people online. It was good to see a lot of people did so I think it's a missed opportunity not to put something in. Listen, oh, yeah. it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Stay safe. And I was really sorry sure. to hear about about your dog, and I know that pain and loss For of a much loved uh, pet. I,
3: I never I never thought that the, the, the death of a dog in the house would cause as much upset oh. as
2: it did. But there you go. Yeah, you know? it's it's a member of the family. Listen, you mind yourself. Take care. Bye bye. Thanks, Good to have you back. Thanks a million. That is uh, Bill Power, St George's Arts and Heritage Centre tomorrow night. A Gorgeous, gorgeous concert for Ukraine. Can I take a quick look at some of your WhatsApps coming in to the program? We were talking about dyslexia in the last hour with uh, Senator Tim Lombard. Listen, this my grandson was diagnosed with dyslexia in primary school. When he was doing his leaving search, they couldn't find the original report that gave him the diagnosis of dyslexia even though the assessment had been done and organised by the school he did very well in his leaving cert but he ended up being short 10 points for the course that he wanted had the diagnosis been known to the department and the people correcting his papers then he would have it would have given him the extra points that he needed oh that's very frustrating so parents my advice is please make sure you keep any records that you have particularly about a learning difficulty with a young person that's frustrating especially when the school you, th- you would think that the school would have some kind of a record uh, of it but it's a cautionary tale for sure hopefully your son your grandson got a different course and that he is doing OK and then uh, Susan says hi Patricia I'd love you to discuss on your programme the dental situation uh, should I say, lack of dentists taking medical card patients. I've recently had to have procedures done on my teeth that cost me €160. Now, I do have a medical card, but my dentist has stopped his contract with the HSE. Why? Because they haven't increased their contact contract payments since 2014 it's now 2022 they got no help with pandemic cost uh, either. So when is the government going to start paying our dentists fairly so that we can get the treatments we require in order to keep our teeth healthy. I'm feeling we cross about this as I can't afford to continuously pay my dentist. Thank you Newsom Susan and Mitchell Well if you're a regular listener Susan you will know it's an issue we've discussed countless times on the programme. It's, it's one that hugely frustrates me as well and I actually can understand why so many dentists are opting out of the medical card scheme because in some cases it's actually costing them in order to do the treatment and then the other issue that they have is that when somebody presents they're only allowed to do so many fillings per in a calendar year and then it's down to extractions after that and that's very difficult for for dentists who work so hard to maintain people's teeth to know that maybe root canal treatment would work on a patient and instead They'll only get paid to extract the tooth instead. So I actually can see it from where the dentists are coming from. And it's just a battle that's going on and on. And anytime time we do it on the programme, any time we look into it, we never seem to be getting it. They never seem to be getting any closer to a resolution, which is hugely, hugely frustrating. Hi, Patricia. Can you kind of give a mention, please, to a community event that's happening? It's a wonderful evening of classical music. It takes place on Thursday night of this week in Kilworth Community Centre. It's with the Chamber Philharmonic Europe. They're a nine-piece ensemble and they're travelling from Germany to play in Kilworth Community Centre. They'll play the music of Bach, Elgar, Rachmaninoff and Mozart, to name but a few. Tickets will be available at the door on the night. That sounds a lovely cultured evening, doesn't it? Eight o'clock, Kilworth Community Centre this coming Thursday. 087. 6492514 if anyone is looking for further details. John from Roscommon who is working with us here in McCroom at the moment says, Tricia, just to let you know, a number of weeks ago we were talking about a food appeal for Ukraine and John actually contacted us and he decided that he'd stay in Cork that weekend rather than get into the car and drive home to Roscommon which he does most weekends and what he would do is the cost of the diesel that he put in, into his car is. Of using the diesel, instead of buying the diesel to come to Roscommon, he'd use that money and he'd put it towards the food appeal for Ukraine. And he sent me on a picture of a very, very full looking trolley of food. And he said, just to let you know, I didn't go home that weekend two weeks ago and the 70 euro I would have put into diesel, I put it into shopping instead for the Ukrainian appeal. Well done, John. Well done and thank you uh, for the photograph. Hi, Patricia. Are you OK? <laughs> I heard you saying earlier, but this is the advice from Eamon Ryan the green the green minister uh, the green leader and um, a minister for transport he's suggesting that we give up one car journey a week and that we walk or take a bus or take the dart or the lewis Use public transport instead. Jim was listening to me saying that. And Jim says, Are you serious? Are you okay? You can't leave the car at home, walk and get the bus. Are you serious? When have you gotten a bus lately? Says our Jim. Two appointments for the Mercy Hospital for my wife were for 8.45am in the morning. The first bus leaves Mitchellstown at ten past nine. So by the time she gets on the bus she'd already be late for the appointment. And by the way, if you suggest calling a taxi... It would cost €100. Well, no, they wouldn't be saying to you to to ring a taxi, Jim. They're trying to say to use public transport instead. But yeah, listen, that's where it goes back to people living in rural areas are very different to somebody listening in an urban area. And it's all well and good for anyone living in an urban area to say, I leave the car at home and I'll get the bus or the darter or the Lewis. But if you are living in a, in a a, a country town and you need to get into the city and you're relying on the bus, the bus isn't always going to be there at the time that you need it. I hear you loud and clear, uh, Jim. Thank you for your text. And hi, Patricia. Listening to your programme about electricity costs, I can't cut back any more with my electricity in my house because our only heaters are electric. We can't afford it any other way. I have two children with disabilities. So you can imagine the heating is on quite a lot, particularly when it's very, very cold weather. My last bill... Says this text was 600 euro. I'm dreading the next one. God almighty, isn't that shocking? Um, yeah, so the 200 euro certainly won't go uh, very far for you. Uh, my heart goes out to you. And listen, just on the 200 euro, there was somebody else on about the because people's bills are starting to arrive now and the 200 euro credit, electricity credit is on it. A couple of people were on saying, Patricia, do we have to pay that 200 euro back from the electricity? No, no, it's a one off. Payment that the government is giving to try to help with the cost, the rising cost of electricity, but it will be, and it is absolutely a one-off payment. Uh, Ross says if Miho Martin our Taoiseach has the guts to stop the increase in the carbon tax in May, it will do his own vote and his party vote good. Well, yesterday he says he's sticking uh, with it. Let's wait and see. Um, things will have to move fast because the carbon taxes due to go up on the 1st of May. And somebody else says if people didn't go on aeroplanes so much, that would save the planet. The rest is only clutching at straws when it comes to carbon taxes, etc. And let me go to some of your calls that have been coming into the programme. Michael in boils the kettle once a day, fills up the flask. It does them for his hot water, free tea, and coffee for the rest of the day. A tip that we've mentioned before, but one that should be passed on. And Liam says if you're talking about saving money on electricity, the clocks went forward couple of weeks ago. Now some of the street lights are still on the old time and therefore they're on all over the country an hour earlier than they need to be. The councils need to make sure that they go off, particularly when daylight saving hours come in. Also Liam in West Cork is wondering about the GAA clubs and the rugby pitches that have floodlights for training. Do we need to look at that? If we're looking at saving energy all over the country surely they could bring the training forward to daylight saving hours and stop the need to have floodlights on at pitches all over the country. And my husband, this is a WhatsApp in on dyslexia. My husband wasn't diagnosed with dyslexia until he was 28 years of age. He's now 79. He went on to attend Oxford University, qualified as a principal social worker and a psychotherapist. Well done. And that's the point I made earlier when I was talking about dyslexia. Dyslexia is absolutely nothing to do with intelligence. And some of the most intelligent people can and are dyslexic. But in order for somebody to get the help that they need in order to progress in the education system, that's where they need. It needs to be pointed out and it needs to be identified earlier because there's so much help available at the moment. But the the person needs to have the diagnosis first. And that's what we were talking about. Teacher training people who are heading in for teacher training, that they get the skill sets that they need so that they can identify the little boy or the little girl in the class who's struggling and could be struggling because of uh, dyslexia. Now, we've got our Racing Home for Easter Festival. We are running a competition right across this week because the Racing Home for Easter Festival is on at Mallow Racecourse this coming Easter, Saturday the 16th to Monday the 18th of April. You're invited to go along and join three great days of racing at Cork Racecourse live music most stylish lady event is on the Easter Sunday plenty of children's entertainment as well family fun race day the family day is very much happening on the bank holiday Monday but we've got tickets every day this week to get you along to the Easter Sunday day at the racing pair of tickets will be given away every day this week we will end up with five winners on Friday but one of our winners gets their prize bumped up they will include admission to the races a race card a reserved table at the restaurant with dinner for two you can enjoy a four course meal overlooking the track and then following your day at the races you can head off uh, for a stay for two in Springford Hall uh, Country House in just located about 10 minutes away from the race course gorgeous gorgeous prize we have a racing question for you, and I need you now to either text or WhatsApp your answer to us, please, along with your name and address. A racing horse's parents are usually referred to as A, the horse's stallion and filly, or B, the horse's sire and dam. A racehorse's parents are usually referred to as A, the horses Sal- Stallion and Philly or B? The horses Sire and Dam? If you know the answer, text A or B, along with your name and address, to 0862103103. You can text or you can WhatsApp. We'll leave it open for about 15 minutes and then we will select a winner who will win a pair of tickets to go racing on Easter Sunday as part of the Easter Festival of Maddo Racecourse. And could also then uh, win that, ta- that extra prize of having dinner, four-course um, dinner on the day and the overnight stay in Springford Hall. So get texting or WhatsApping on that, please. Uh, what's a racehorse's parents usually referred to? And if you want to go get your tickets for the Racing Home for Easter Festival, then I suggest you go to corkracecourse.ie The C103 Cork Diary
5: With
3: Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need
2: at corkcoco.ie. Rahan National School are fundraising to extend the play area and to create a biodiversity trail. Please support their raffle which will take place this Friday. Tickets available from the school are by logging on to idonate.ie forward slash fundraiser forward slash Rahan NS Sports Developer Fund. Bingo's in Chamballi-Moore Community Centre tonight, 8 o'clock. They've got a jackpot, €1,600 and all are welcome. And Bingo books are currently on sale for Kildallari's Home Bingo. This week's snowball prize is €400. Euro. And for Moy Musical Society will host their concert, Live in Living Colour. It's on Friday and Saturday next. Tickets €15 euro, and they're on sale by contacting 086 24 Cork today on
3: C103 call Patricia with your
2: comment 0818103103 Now I want to go back to an interview that we tried to do earlier this morning with Cork based Fáil MEP at uh, Billy Kelleher who's called on all Irish companies with operations in Russia to pull out of the country and send a very strong message to the people of Russia whose government continue with its illegal war and Billy phone lines sorted out is ba- back with us Good afternoon to you Billy Good afternoon, uh, apologies uh, right I, not, not your fault. Phone lines late, leave us down all the time. Now, I was starting to ask you, do, do you know how do many Irish companies have operations in Russia?
6: Well, it's quite a sizable number of very small companies that would be offering some services or would be involved in some way in in the uh, Russian Federation over the years. I actually visited there a number of times when I was Minister of State on trade missions. So, I mean, there was um, in a previous time, you know. Uh, Links being built up between uh, Ireland and uh, co- companies in um, in Russia, but uh, in recent years, obviously, you've had the big ones like Kingspan, Kappa um, Cement Rose to Holdings, uh, Kerry Group, for example, would also have a, a footprint there. So look, there's a, a a makeup of companies from very large to very small, but I primarily am talking about the larger ones. You know, I know Enterprise Ireland is assisting the smaller companies that have you know maybe one or two people there or just supplying services in or out of, of Russia. But in general, this is about the big ones, yeah. just sending a strong message you know, is, in terms of the sanctions.
2: And is your fear that any commercial activity could be sending funding, even indirectly, to Putin's <sighs> regime? Well, I mean, the first and foremost thing
6: is if we are trying to sanction Russia, I mean, if if all companies uh, withdraw, when I talk about all companies, all big companies from around the world, if they withdraw, then it has an immediate impact. But if you have ones that aren't withdrawing immediately, well, then you don't have that uh, immediate big bang effect. So, you know, we want all the large companies to to get out of Russia. And yes, Patricia, the concern is obviously two things, that there may be uh, economic activity that would uh, fund the Russian exchequer uh, through taxation or through other means. And also the fact that these big companies, particular international companies, they give a legitimacy to the Putin regime. In other words, they can use these companies and saying, well, look, uh, some companies have left, but big companies have stayed. And they can identify and point to um, companies that remain. So that is the concern as well. So the fact that Irish companies are beginning to withdraw in large numbers is, is, is very is very welcome. And what we need now is for the others to do the same. And what we're asking is, and I, this is a big ask obviously, uh, but I mean like we, you know, when you look at the genocide in uh, Butcher, when you look at the appalling attacks in Mariupol in southern Ukraine, you know what we're asking companies to do, what we're asking citizens across Europe to do in terms of sanctions that may have an impact on Europe as well uh, you know, is very small compared to what is actually happening on the streets of Ukrainian cities at the moment.
2: It's, it's, it's really hard to watch some of those scenes, isn't it, that were, that we're that's unfolding before us, particularly as you say in in Bucha I dread to think what's going to unfold when they finally get into Mariupol Well
6: yes I mean these are uh, the places that we have witnessed um, areas and the satellite uh, images from Bucha indicate that you know this happened uh, a a number of days before the Russian uh, left so I mean these were uh, parts of the country that were occupied only for a short period of time by the Russians they eventually were driven back but there's large swathes of uh, Ukraine that are been occupied for a period of time and it may be sometime before they're liberated. You know, we don't know whether they'll ever be liberated. But if this is what they can do in two or three weeks, imagine what they are doing in parts of Ukraine uh. where we can't access. And certainly, uh, even even in advance of the obvious war crimes in Bucha, they're shelling civilian areas. They're bombing civilian apartment blocks, they are bombing maternity hospitals, they are bombing schools. Uh, this, these are war crimes already. So, I mean, uh, the Russian Federation and Putin and, he, and, and his mob are really, you know, uh, stooping to a level that I thought I'd never see in my lifetime again in Europe
2: and i saw as a direct result of what came out of bucha the germans expelled 40 russian diplomats and lithuania literally threw out their russian ambassador still no move on us and i know that's something you felt quite strongly about at the start uh, i mean you even offered to drive him to the airport you want do you still want the russian ambassador to be gone
6: I, I do, Um, I, I, I cannot believe that, uh, he's still on Irish soil, and I can understand the government says that they want to keep up diplomatic, uh, relations, but let's be honest, how could you have any, uh, liaison with a person who has consistently misled the Irish people, lied to the Irish people in terms of the fact that he said there is no war, there's no targeting of civilians uh, in Ukraine. It is simply unfathomable that you could have any business with with, um, the Russian ambassador in Ireland. And I think that to keep up diplomatic relations, I mean, Europe should nominate one embassy um, that would deal with all European citizens' queries in Moscow, but the rest of them should be sent packing. Sent packing at this stage, and um, I know that there is an increased um, suspending of um, diplomats across Europe and sending them back to Russia. But until such time as uh, embassies are actually closed, you know, um, Russia will still, uh, and don't uh, bear in mind, Putin uses all these things to his advantage. He can say day in, day out, uh, no European countries expelled any of my ambassadors. Yeah, yeah. You know, I have international support. So while we have these guys uh, smooching around Dublin, uh, you know, in the lap of luxury, while Artillery from Russian guns are bombing civilian targets, and you have people being summarily executed on the streets of Bucha in northern Ukraine. I simply cannot understand why he's allowed um, uh, stay in, in, in the leafy suburbs where he lives.
2: OK, and back to Irish companies withdrawing their operations. I know in particular Kerry Group was a group that you wrote to personally asking them to finish up their operations in Russia. Now, they have responded. Are you, are you pleased with that? They're suspending all their operations in Russia and in Belarus.
6: Yes, I am. And look, the reason I wrote to Kerry Group is twofold. Uh, number one, I'm a shareholder and I have been for many, many years because I was farming uh, many years ago. Um, it's a company I admire greatly. It's a, uh, you know, it's, it's a wonderful, dynamic company, and um, you know, it's an international reputation. It is an internationally significant company from Ireland's reputation as well, and um, equally as a as a public rep for Ireland South, which is basically Munster and South Leinster, where. Kerry Group would have a large uh, agri footprint. I just felt that, you know, they could not uh, and should not remain in Russia as they had indicated that they would do. And uh, I felt that their original statement just was not near what was required from a company with such a superb reputation. And um, I I welcome the fact that they have, you know, changed course. They have uh, shuttered their operations in Russia and Belarus. And, you know, those things have to be done uh, for the duration of this war. What happens after the war in terms of peace process? settlements and all that is hypothetical. But what we need to do now is send strong signals um, by large companies, by governments, uh, and by everybody concerned that what's happening is just unacceptable. Mm -hmm. And that means now the Irish government has to make decisions about uh, ambassadors. The European Union has to make decisions about Russian gas and whether or not we can continue to fund uh, the war. So, in effect, what we're doing, uh, Patricia, is we're purchasing gas. Europe is purchasing gas off Russia up to a billion euros a day at the moment, uh, to pay Putin so he can pay and fund his army to kill Ukrainians and force more Ukrainians to flee into Europe. It, it really is the most bizarre circular economy of appalling humanitarian abuse that I, I, can, I have seen in a long time. And I just believe that we just have to be honest with ourselves. If we continue to purchase the volumes of gas from Russia, we are directly funding Putin's regime and um, Europe is facilitating his ability to fund his war machine.
2: And that's what President Zelensky has said as well. John in Cork City says there is supposed to be a protest in Passage West today. It's to do with a Russian ship carrying timber which is due to dock there later today. But John says that timber is already paid for and it will keep people in jobs here. What would Billy say to a protest like that?
6: Well, look, what I always say about um, sanctions, they must be proportionate. And they must always be proportionate in the sense that they must hurt your enemy more than they hurt you. So the idea that you would sanction and it would do more damage to the Irish economy or the European economy than it would to the Russian economy would not make sound political, economic sense. So, I mean, any sanctions that I would support would always be ones that would have a far greater impact on the economy or the broader Putin regime than they would have, we'll say, on damaging uh, the European economy. And that's why when I talk about uh, cutting off gas, you know, we have to start that process now. We have to reorientate our supply chain uh, from uh, LNG, not just into Ireland, but into Europe for the, the foreseeable future. Norway, uh, Netherlands, and the UK and others would have to increase pro- productivity or production of gas for the foreseeable future. But we have to start this process immediately. Otherwise, we know what will happen. Uh, we will continue to buy gas will continue to fund uh, Putin and we're back to where we are week in, week out. So, you know, all the sanctions should hurt the enemy more than hurt yourself. But uh, certainly um, any sanction that targets the Russian economy specifically is one I support. Uh, timber and other things, they're building materials. Sometimes they are just required for the European economy as well. And they can't be sourced anywhere else. But um, on the issue of gas, I believe at this stage... Uh, President Biden has already said that they will facilitate the importation of LNG. We can also source it from other countries and we can produce, We can increase production uh, in some of the countries that have natural gas uh, in Europe as well.
2: OK. All right, we'll leave it there. Listen, Billy, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Cork-based Fianna Fáil MEP Billy Kelleher. 0818 103 103. Bernie taking your calls. So you can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Cork today on C 103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862 103 103. And a huge reaction to our Racing Home for Easter Festival uh, tickets and you can stop texting us because we have our winner while well, the outbreak break was on there. We Randomly selected a winner. Today's question was the racehorse's parents are usually referred to as it is B. The horse's sire and uh, dam, and our winner today is drum roll! I don't have a drum roll. Shannon O'Connell of Eagle View in Bantier with the correct answer. Congratulations, Shannon O'Connell, Eagle View in Bantier Shannon, you've won a pair of tickets to go racing home for Easter on Easter Sunday. But stay tuned because on Friday you could be bumping up that prize to dinner for two, a race card, a reserved table in the restaurant out at the race course, and then an overnight stay at Springford Hall Country House Hotel uh, on on that night of Easter Sunday night. So congratulations Shannon O'Connell Eagle View in Bantier. More of those tickets to give away tomorrow Wednesday and again on Thursday and you can find out all about tickets to the Racing Home for Easter Festival by going online to corkracecourse.ie Joe Heffernan joins us because it's Tuesday afternoon. Good afternoon to you Joe. Good afternoon Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. We are picking up on a piece that you did with John Paul Paul, last week when you were discussing trauma and yeah. how people react to a critical incident. And today you want to talk about th- things that people can try or things that people need to do.
4: Yeah, yeah. A couple of things like that. When we do, when I do the, the training for different um, organisations like paramedics, etc., etc., we'd have handouts um, at the end of maybe uh, the training. And uh, one of them would be entitled, Things to Try. And, um, yeah, the feedback would have been that, you know, it makes sense and that um, that it was found helpful. Um, We were talking last week, as you say, about the three classic symptoms of trauma, avoidance, intrusion, and hypervigilance. Um, Before we get into that, can I just uh, say it? Welcome back to our esteemed parish priest, Father Jim Kennelly, who's back in action um, after being not well there for um, a few days. So he's back in action, and um, that will help um, uh, a few people who are maybe suffering from the trauma of all that's going on in the world. But yeah, we talked about that last week. Um, uh, Basically, we were talking about and uh, normalizing trauma and saying, like you'd say to a person, you're a normal person reacting in a normal way to a very abnormal event. And God knows, Patricia, I'm sure you will agree, we've had an awful lot of very abnormal events um, in, a, in a broad way rather than an individual way. Um, over the last, and indeed an individual where too many people have had COVID and it would have been scary. So, yeah, um, we have the Ukrainian people coming to Ireland. Many of them will be suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, a lot um, of them
2: are going to need a, a a lot of help. Absolutely.
4: And that's where this, um, you know, um, critical incident, uh, um whole subject uh, comes uh, into play, really.
2: Okay, so give us suggestions of things that people can can try. And you suggest that you need to do this as soon as possible after the critical incident. If
4: possible, okay. if possible. And um, having said that now, I've had people um, uh, in my own practice um where uh, a critical incident that turned out to be still causing a problem might have been years ago. But ideally, um, you know, soon after the event, um, there's a thing called a defusing, which is kind of done immediately. we say now there's an A&E where the staff have been um, uh, very upset by... Um, uh, an incident uh, overnight in the uh, in in the a and e um in the morning rather than everyone just going their own way that there might be what would be called a diffusing, which basically would be giving people an opportunity to say what happened to say how they feel, and maybe giving out a little bit of um advice about mm, for example. Uh, maybe if a person was extremely upset by what had taken place, to maybe phone someone rather than driving home. Um, So immediacy would be good, but very often that's not possible. And the likes of a critical incident stress debriefing would be um, uh, possibly within a few days. But, um, uh, yeah, bits of the advice that are... um, uh, You know, distributed would be, um, you know, periods, for example. Uh, It comes up so often in our chats. Um, A a bit of physical exercise um, alternating with um, uh, a a bit of relaxation and um, basically, uh, you know, looking after one's health um, in the regions of uh, diet, exercise, and sleep. So that would be there, yeah uh, And when look, be...
2: looking after yourself, isn't it? It's to do with looking yeah. after your body, yeah,
4: yeah, yeah, and to structure your time to to you know uh, without being crazy busy, but to do the things that you that you need to do, you know um uh, you know meal times to observe meal times that even if you don't feel like um maybe um, a big meal, or maybe even any meal at all, to have something. Um, In other words, to keep a bit of structure in the day because that gives the feeling that one is in control rather than that the whole day is haphazard and that um, it's kind of happening to me rather than me making things happen.
2: So try and get routine into your life. To get a bit of
4: routine and to, um, to... to make the day as, uh, as normal as possible, while also understanding that I'm a normal person and I'm having normal reactions to a bad event and I'm not going crazy. That's a big one. I'm not going crazy. Um, uh, this won't um, mean that, uh, you know, this is me for the rest of my life or something in that line. Um the uh, The flashbacks and the uh, the the hyper vigilance you know being on red alert, being jumpy that that will pass with time yeah. but it will pass with less time if you reach out and talk to people now it, it it may be absolutely totally um sufficient to have a chat with family or with someone that you trust. Um, to share your feelings with and thoughts and uh, to reach out. Um on the other hand then if um you know if there were too many sleepless nights and too much um being jumpy and being on red alert and being irritable and um generally that one would say it to oneself, Do you know what, I'm not coping with this at all well then Maybe to go and talk to someone in a professional capacity, um, uh, and uh, and that can obviously uh, help.
2: Yeah, and, and then like simple things like, and some people swear by this journaling. Keep a journal of how you're feeling.
4: Absolutely, absolutely. Do you know they're recently now in the um, in the census they have this time capsule? Yeah,
2: we were talking about it earlier. Yeah.
4: Right. Well, now, you see, we can have a kind of our own time capsule of, say, the COVID or the war in Ukraine, Um, like the current times that are um, not pleasant. Um, And, uh, you know, a daily journal of how I was coping um, will be very, very interesting to read in in a year, in two, in three, even to... Leave it uh, behind us. Um, uh, yeah, because this too shall pass. I mm-hmm. mean, the war in Ukraine will eventually come to an end. Maybe not as quickly as we'd like, but it will end. And uh, and COVID um, is apparently becoming more manageable. Um, one wonders about that with the recent numbers But anywhere we we we'll have to as they say we'll have to believe the, the science R is
2: the B. and then for people who are trying to help somebody who's coping with this uh, traumatic uh, in- uh, incident you know just listening listening to the person is so important
4: absolutely absolutely to just listen and um, uh, you know, to avoid, um, totally avoid the likes of saying, like, I will look, tis, tis bad, all right, but, um, you know, my God, it could have been worse. That, that, that's no help at all. Um, uh, a, a traumatized person wouldn't be consoled at all by th- that kind of um Yeah, snap talk. out of it, so sure. yeah, to, yeah. To just listen. And um, and then,
2: but you can be, you can offer the practical advice to the person by helping them. In a practical yeah. way.
4: And, and to help in a very, very practical way. I mean, you know, if, if, the, if the place needs a bit of tidying, if there's a meal to be cooked, if there's a, a small child to be looked after, I mean, these things, um, uh, you know, uh, to, um, to help out in a very practical way like that, like, would be of immense value. And maybe to kind of watch out for if the person was inclined to be uh, medicating or numbing the the pain of what they were going through, which, for example, we'll say alcohol, um, because uh, one problem is bad, but two uh, is worse. um, So not to complicate what's going on uh, with a substance abuse problem. So yeah to to as they say in modern um lingo to kind of, to be there for the person yeah and and to be to to reassure the person that they're safe that um you know that this too shall pass and um, uh and maybe um if uh the the best of all would be that if someone who has been through a trauma and what they found to be helpful at the time, um, because that gives a great credibility and validity uh, to what the person uh, is hearing. Uh, It's kind of like being there, done that, this worked for me, I found that good, and the the, the person hearing that will will think, well, okay, okay, I I can accept that kind of talk. Yeah,
2: yeah, and just just be there for the person. Be there and 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 let them move at their own pace as well. I think Absolutely. that's really important.
4: And okay. and not to take you know if they're touchy, if they're angry, if they're a little bit impossible, um, to not take it personally. That that's a that's a typical symptom of of a person going through um uh,
2: a bad time after. Uh, Absolutely. The yeah, they might fly off the handle for the smallest thing that they yeah. wouldn't. They would normally do. Yeah, make allowances. Okay. Yeah. As always, the mine of information. Thank you for that, Joe. Have a lovely week. And see we'll, you. We'll chat to you next Tuesday. Thanks for that. That is uh, Joe Heffernan, who runs a counselling practice in Bohopui. His number is oh eight six eight three four eight one four five. A couple of final texts. Uh, in Michael's Patricia. Have you heard that the Russian embassy in Dublin is having difficulties? They've had to get onto the Department of Foreign Affairs because nobody will deliver fuel to the embassy. I wonder how sanctions are going to affect the ordinary Russian people on the ground. And I did see that story. It's broken uh, this morning. They're running out of diesel for heating and hot water. And they've had to get on to the Minister for Foreign Affairs to get him to in- intervene before they run out. or They're going to be very chilly in the uh, embassy. None of the fuel suppliers in Dublin will uh, deliver fuel to them. Be interesting to see what Simon Coveney does on that one. And Richie says, this is on carbon tax. I genuinely appreciate that the world needs minding and that we all have to do our bit. But what about the big contributors to global warm, warming? The Chinas, the Indias, the uh, Russias, the Africa, the Americas. It is the bigger game screwing the ordinary taxpayer in the developed world and the rest not held to account. A tiny change by a small population is not the solution. Tackle the biggest contributors first. That's from Richie. That's where I leave you. Thanks to Bernie. Talk to you tomorrow.
3: Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ